This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Thanks to this episode's sponsor, LLC, TLC. They are just doing an incredible job saving you money on your registration. Be sure to register your vehicles, airplanes, boats, street legal, side-by-sides, and trailers to your own Montana LLC, and you will pay $0 in sales tax. So go to LLCTLC.com for more information. Hey, it's Greg Stanley with the Culture Car Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, you're seeing the incredible GTO flying down the country roads as I'm talking. I'm just going to let this kind of go on in the background here uh, while I give you some updates. First off, I'd like to give a big thank you to Jordan, a uh, one of the listeners of the podcast. He had heard a couple weeks ago when I was talking to Zach how I wanted a Stanley badge for the wall of my office, which you can see on YouTube here. And uh, he sent me an email, gave me the information, and I ordered one up. Now, it's not currently on my wall behind me, but one of them is. It's a really small one. Let's see where my finger is. It's right there. Uh, anyways, it's a real one, so I appreciate that. I do have the actual Stanley script. I do want to put it on like a, uh, a stained wood placard and put it on the wall there. So shortly, I'm going to read over the details of this incredible sale. We're calling it the one the 1962 Ferrari GTO that's coming for sale from RM Sotheby's. It will be sold November the 13th at New York, in New York at Sotheby's headquarters. And it will be Monday afternoon, 5 p.m. Uh, to kick off their art week, which is pretty cool. And I'm just thrilled to be involved with this car. I am the consigning car specialist. I've been working with the family to bring this incredible car to the market. RM Sotheby's is definitely the home for such an iconic car obviously with over 40 years of experience and just some home runs on some big metal like the Uhlenhaut Coupe, uh, the Mercedes that sold for $142 million last year. So where else would you want to sell a GTO other than with RM Sotheby's? I'm just honored to be a part of the process. So stay tuned. I will tell you, uh, I've been waiting for the official description because I don't want to get any of my facts wrong <laughs> as to why we're calling it the one. It is, it is a very, very special car. Uh, especially when you're talking about GTOs, which every GTO is super special. This is just, you know, the cream of the crop, I guess is the best way to put it. So other things, I did want to give you a heads up of some of the other stuff going on here. There's a lot of auctions coming up in RM Sotheby's world. Uh, the next one actually before the uh, the big GTO sales, the weekend before, is in Las Vegas at the Grand Prix. We're having a sale there and the big car that we're selling there. Well, one of the big cars is this 2013 Mercedes AMG uh, F1 car that Lewis Hamilton, I believe he got his first win in it. Just incredible car, uh, such provenance. Uh, F1 cars have been going crazy in the collector car market nowadays, and this will be no exception. Just some absolutely stunning, beautiful cars. Uh, let's see, the other thing that's happening is we're having a New York sale. Now, this New York sale isn't until, I believe it's December the 8th or so. We will have the Wolf of Wall Street Lamborghini Countach. Now, this is the 1989 version, the 25th anniversary. Just some stunning pictures with this car as well, uh, white on white. I'm usually not a huge fan of the 25th anniversary design cues and styling. It just was a perfect car for that movie. Now, what's interesting is we're offering a non-car lot, and I thought this was pretty cool. We're offering Tom Brady's. Tampa Bay Buccaneers game-worn jersey, his final career game. You can buy his 
his actual Tampa Bay Buccaneers jersey. So that's pretty cool. So if you would like to sell a car with us uh, at this December New York sale, please shoot me a note, gstanley at rmsouthwest.com or one of our other great car specialists. Uh, they're looking for some really cool stuff there. It will be a really unique, interesting environment as well. And then also in December, we have the white collection. Now this is December 1st through the 2nd. Now this is in Texas, I believe it's in the Houston area. And these are all the white Porsches for the most part. I know there's a couple red Porsche tractors, but these are some stellar examples all in white. Uh, everything from a 918 Vysok Spider to a 74 Porsche 911 Carrera RS. Anyway, some incredible, incredible cars. I know there's a more modern Porsche 911 R. Uh, beautiful, beautiful cars coming up soon. Quite a collection, mostly one color hue of white, which is very, very cool. Uh, then we also have the Arizona auction coming up in January. So that's January 25th, I believe. Yep, January 25th, 2024. If you would like to list a car there, please reach out to me. That's always a fun, uh, fun auction. Great weather come January, and it's at the Biltmore. Wonderful establishment there. And then the new auction that's coming up is Moto Miami. Now, again, this is also at the Biltmore, but down at Coral Gables on the golf course. I believe there's three greens that we will have cars shown across for the Concours and uh, all sorts of fun stuff happening as well as an auction. Now, if you would like to list your car for the Moto Miami, obviously reach out to your car specialist or shoot me a note as well. I'm specifically looking for a white Testarossa with tan interior. I want to get the Miami Vice cars. My thought is, is you know, if you're ever going to sell your white Testarossa Moto Miami, that's the place to do it. Obviously, International Airport uh, will have folks from all over the world attending this event. Uh, I'm sure, don't hold me to it, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if that is a record price for a white Testarossa, if I can find one. Also, Daytona Spider. Those are the two iconic cars uh, from Miami Vice. I would love to have one of each. And uh, you can see on the website here, we have a 288 GTO. We have a beautiful orange uh, Lamborghini Mura. So that will surely be quite an event, Moto Miami. Now this is February 9th, 29th through March the 3rd. Uh, so that's another big one we're soliciting cars for. You can consign your car. I always suggest do it as quickly as possible because you want to be in the initial press release so that you can get as much publicity as possible for these cars. That's just my advice. Do what you want. Uh, anyways, so a lot of stuff going on. As we get closer to the GTO sale, so just a couple weeks from now, I will post more videos of my interaction with this car, behind the scenes videos, uh, dealing with this car, loading it for, you know, for the big announcement in Monterey, uh, driving it. I actually drove it the other day. People thought I was crazy, but I had the opportunity, so I just had to. And wouldn't you know it, if you watch the video, at some point, my co-driver starts yelling, slow down, slow down, slow down. On the side of this road, there were five deer. A freaking herd of deer who would want to hit <laughs> hit a deer ever much less in a 70 plus million dollar car thankfully it was not a problem and then we saw one more uh after that so you have to see that video you can see the deer on the video uh but i it was such a thrill now i'm in love with uh front engine v12 ferrari race cars with a gated shifter from the 60s which how many of those can i afford absolutely none so it's the forbidden fruit. So that will come up. I'll do some shorts, hopefully leading up to the actual sale. And then a couple months after the sale, because it's going to take me a while to put it together, I'm going to do like soup to nuts. Here's from my first interaction with the car all the way through the sale with the results and uh, all my behind the scenes video kind of put into one 
mini movie because when else can I possibly do this? Uh, this is the time to do it. So, all right, well, let's move on to this GTO. If you haven't seen it yet, please go to armsotheby's.com forward slash GTO so you can watch the Don't Blink video. This video is absolutely unbelievable. Um, it was done, uh, the last scene where they're pulling uh, pulling the cover off of the car that was actually filmed in the owner's garage. You would never know it. But if you go to my YouTube channel, I have my behind the scenes video right there. If you watch it till the end, you'll see what it was really like. And you can see the uh, incredible work that can happen post-production. So be sure your sound is turned on. It is a wonderful video. Absolutely loved it. First time I saw it, I teared up. Probably the first 10 times I saw it, actually. As I tell you a little bit about the background of this incredible car, I will switch to pictures and video that I have shot over the last six months or so uh, while I talk about this. So hopefully I'll give you a little flavor, uh, some behind the scenes about this car, as, as well as the official pictures. And I'm gonna run through a couple pictures here real quick. Jeremy Cliff did these incredible shots of the GTO. Uh, there'll be some pictures of this on my Instagram feed as well. And he did it with light painting. So quite a technique to really capture the beauty of this car uh, by using uh, a light source. Just absolutely stunning. So I'm scrolling through those right now. His work is really, really incredible, um, along with a bunch of period photos we have here. Um, yeah, just incredible work. Check out Jeremy Cliff. You can find him on Instagram. Always doing really cool stuff with some of the best cars in the world. All right, so let's get started here. I'm going to read the history of this incredible car and you will see some fun pictures pass by while I do it. Okay, the R.M. Sotheby's catalog description is called The Definition of a Legend. A shimmering seaside sunset, a meteor streaking across the August night, a flash of lightning against a darkly brooding thunderhead. These are the fleeting memories of beauty and grandeur that, if left unrecognized, forever pass into the night of memory and regret. These are the chance opportunities that demand the attention of our eyes, those masters of vision and perception that have been dubbed the windows to the soul. And we must leave those eyes focused and steadfast. Just for a momentary blink might cause us to miss something truly incredible, in this case, the offering of a speed machine so celebrated that it qualifies as the very definition of a legend. By late 1961, Ferrari began to develop a competition replacement for the successful 250 GT short wheelbase. While the short wheelbase Berlinetta had been a dominant force in its day, the beautiful sports racer was increasingly approaching its limits, most evident in the upright front end that inherently prevented the model from exceeding 155 miles an hour. Coincidentally to these machinations at Marinello, the FIA's CSI announced new regulations for the 1962 racing calendar, replacing the prior World Championship of Sports Car with the new International Championship of Manufacturers, which was to be determined exclusively by GT production car racing classes. Larger displacement prototype race cars would be allowed to participate in some events, but not for points. With the 250 GT platform already firmly homologated after six years of racing activity and corresponding road car production, the model was an obvious choice for Ferrari to continue in 1962. The luminary engineer Giotto Bizzarini was tasked with further refining the 250 GT Berlinetta and the bulk of its, his efforts centered on developing new coachwork through aerodynamic testing in the University of Pisa's wind tunnel and on the Monza track. Introduced at a press conference in February of 1962, the 250 GTO was absolutely stunning. 
Power was provided by the latest development of the 3-liter Colombo Short Block V12, a competition-tuned dry sump lubricated engine that breathed through six dual-throat Weber carburetors to produce 300 horsepower and an echo of Testarossa engine specifications. The new type 539-62 chassis featured a number of engineering advances, including smaller, lighter tubing in some areas of the frame, a new all-synchro mesh five-speed gearbox, and a revised rear suspension with stiffer springs and a stabilizing watts linkage. Perhaps most significantly, the new chassis architecture and the drive sump oil system allowed for the engine to be placed lower than the outgoing short wheelbase Berlinetta, ensuring a lower center of gravity and correspondingly improved handling longer and lower than the 250 short wheelbase. The new model also weighed roughly 250 pounds less than its predecessor. As the Scudiera Ferrari continued to focus its sports racing activities on the rear engine Dino prototype race cars, the 250 GTO was largely entrusted to privateers, and numerous examples were sold to preferred racing clients and marquee distributors like Marinello Concessionaires and Luigi Cinetti's North America racing team, NART. It did not take long for the GTO to make its mark in competition as the second car built, chassis number 3387 GT, finished first in class and second overall at the 1962 24 Hours of Sebring with Phil Hill and Oliver Glendenbean driving on behalf behalf of Chinetti. This commenced a period of solid dominance that extended well into 1964, eventually establishing the 250 GTO as one of the most successful racing sports cars of all time. Meanwhile, regulation changes were also afoot at the Cirque de la Sarthe. Despite the FIA's attempt to limit competition to GT models only, the Le Mans organizers remained committed to the idea of the prototype race car. So for 1962, the ACO stipulated a larger displacement 4-liter class whose purpose was to develop cars that might eventually translate into road car production. Other endurance racing venues quickly followed suit with the a four-liter class being adopted at Sebring, the Targa Florio, and the Nürburgring 1000 kilometer. This wrinkle was not lost on Ferrari's engineers, and they soon began to seriously consider the potential of dropping a four-liter motor into a GTO. It was this vein of thinking that gave rise to the fascinating history of the featured lot. One of one, chassis number 3765. Claiming unique build provenance and a remarkable in-period racing pedigree that includes a rare rare use by the factory, the spectacular GTO is among the model's most singular examples. Chassis number 3765 is the only works GTO example that was originally equipped with a four liter engine. This engine was built with the Colombo style architecture, but with an increased displacement, displacement of nearly four liters. And in this particular version, it was converted to drive sump lubrication and tuned with special carburetors and camshafts. As reflected by copies of factory build sheets and his, a history report by Russo Corsa Consulting, a three carburetor motor engine number 42SA was tested in May of 1962 and installed into chassis number 365, which was approximately the ninth car by build date Sequentially, the 14th of 34 examples built with Tipo 1962 coachwork. Finished in Rosa China paint, the upgraded GTO debuted for the Scudiera Ferrari at the Nürburgring 1000 km on May 27th, where it was entered as race number 120. Works driver Mark Parks and Willie Maurice piloted the car to a class win and a second overall finish, quickly justifying Marilinello's speculation about the potential of a 4-liter GTO. It is worth noting that 3765 is the only factory GTO Tipo 1962 example 
to have been campaigned by the Scuderia Ferrari. With sights then fully set on Le Mans, the Ferrari factory overhauled 3765's motive power. The three carburetor engine was removed and replaced with a second engine, number 48SA, fed by six Weber 42 DCN carburetors. Total output was estimated in the range of 390 horsepower, a considerable upgrade of power from the three liter engine. Some minor alterations were taken on the nose, particularly as a result of the reconfigured engine and in part to alleviate some minor corner damage incurred at the Nürburgring. While the characteristic triple triangular cooling vents above the grill have been blocked off at the Nürburgring, they were reopened for Le Mans. Unique driving lamps were added to the sides of the fender just underneath the tear-shaped markers and the hood bulge was reshaped in all likelihood to accommodate the new six carburetor intake setup. SEFAC Ferrari entered four total cars at the 1962 24 Hours of Le Mans, including two in the 4-liter class, a 330 TRI LM, which eventually won the race in the 4-liter GTO, chassis number 3765. Two Dino race cars comprised the balance of the team. But the number 7 GTO was not the only car of its kind, for it was joined by no less than four other 250 GTO examples entered by privateers, which figured among 13 total Ferraris in the starting grid. So when you watch the Don't Blink video, be sure to keep an eye out for the number seven car and you will see, uh, you, you can see a good shot of the engine as well as it on track. During the Thursday qualifying session, Mike Parks made good use of 3765's four liter engine, establishing the second fastest lap of the day and eventually securing a fourth place starting position. Parks took the first dri driving shift when the Race began at 4 p.m. on Saturday, and he and Graham Hill's Aston Martin left out to chase the leading Corvette, which was the pole position starter. By the first turn, the GTO and the Aston Martin had passed the Corvette, and Parks was approaching the Mustang corner at high speed as he attempted to pass Hill. Unfortunately, the GTO's brakes were not equal to the task, and the car locked up at all four corners, helplessly sliding into a sandbank that guarded the circuit's edge. Like many serious drivers, Parks carried a shovel on board and he spent roughly 30 minutes digging the car out. After being extricated from the sandbank, 3765 lent back to the pits where the crew hurriedly attempted to rectify any damage. When co-driver Lorenzo Bandini resumed the race, the GTO had dropped to 53rd place, but over the next five hours, the Ferrari steadily ascended the field, rising as high as 42nd place by the seventh hour. It was nevertheless becoming increasingly evident that the engine was on the verge of overheating, an issue that may have been caused by a blockage of the radiator with sand from the accident. At 9.40 p.m., more than halfway through the six-hour, and having covered 56 laps, the works Goodyear Ferrari GTO finally overheated, forcing a disappointing early retirement. With the conclusion of the 1962 season's four-liter class eligible events, there was little purpose for Ferrari to continue campaigning 3765, and the car was refurbished as necessary for client sales. In November 1962, the Ferrari was purchased by Trieste resident Pietro Ferraro, and for his use, the GTO underwent another series of factory modifications conducted in May of 1963. As indicated in a secondary build document, as well as a later letter from the factory, 3765 was returned to Marinello for conversion to 250 GTO specifications. At this time, it was factory equipped with its third engine, internal number 670-62E, which remains fitted to this day. This three-liter motor had originally been used as a, as a developmental engine for chassis number 0796 when the car was transformed from a 246 Dino race car 
into an early test mule slash prototype for the legendary 250P. The 128LM slash 63 specification engine was paired with a 250GTO specification five-speed gearbox, and to ensure that the work was properly completed, John Surtees himself test drove the car at the Modena Autodrome a few days later. Now this engine totally screams today. It is a thrill to drive. In July of 1964, Ferraro raced the GTO in the Trieste Appensina hill climb, finishing fifth in class, not long after he sold the Ferrari to Fernando Latieri of Palmero, Sicily, who finally put the 3765 to the kind of extended racing campaign for which it had originally been built, focusing on the unique calendar of racing events staged within his Sicilian homeland. The initial returns were inconclusive as Latieri and co-driver Capuano were unable to complete the grueling Targa Florio in May of 1965, but the GTO fared far better in hill climb competition, achieving three overall wins, two second overall finishes, both class wins, and one third in class by the season's conclusion. These accomplishments were sufficient to cement the car's achievement as the runner-up in the 1965 Sicilian Hill Climb Championship. Latieri achieved one more class win in March 1966 before trading the GTO back to the factory in early 1967. Within the next few months, the Ferrari was sold to Californian resident Mario Tosi, and he specified a refinish of the coachwork in Gallo before the car was exported to the United States. A year later, 3765 was purchased by Jack Reuter of St. Louis, Missouri, and the car began participating in American Mark gatherings. Reuter drove the GTO in a local FCA tour in November 1971, and he exhibited the car at the annual FCA meet held at Gross Point, Michigan in June 1973, winning a class award and the Judge's Choice Award. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, I actually have black and white pictures from the owner of this car when it was yellow. And one of the pictures is shocking in that it shows it's for sale with $6,500 in the windshield, probably around 1971. By August 1974, the Ferrari was sold to Fred Leidorf of Birmingham, Michigan. Now, I met Fred a couple years ago. He was showing his 375mm at the Cincinnati Concord Elegance. Super nice guy. In addition to working as the manager of the American Motors Corp engine design team, Mr. Leidorf was chairman of the FCA, and his ownership brought 3765 considerable exposure within the Ferrari collecting niche. Over the following 10 years, he exhibited the GTO at no less than five FCA meets, and he additionally displayed the car at the Styling Auto Show staged by the Chrysler Design Office in October 1976. In April 1985, Mr. Leidorf sold the Ferrari to the current owner, a dedicated collector based in Ohio. After being treated to a full restoration by the specialists at Shelton Ferrari in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, the GTO was presented at a string of major events, commencing with the FCA National Concord Elegance at Watkins Glen in June 1990, where the car won its class. After enjoying the Ferrari at the Vintage Grand Prix at Mid-Ohio in June 1991, the owner presented the car at the Cavallino Classic in February 1995, where it earned a class award, the Scudiera Ferrari Cup, and the Copabella Machina. Displayed three months later at the FCA National Concord Elegance in Columbus, Ohio, the GTO won a Platinum Award. The accolades continue with a Blue Ribbon Award at the 1997 Meadowbrook Concord Elegance, after which the Ferrari was presented at the 1998 Alt Park Concord Elegance and the 2001 Amelia Island Concord Elegance. This picture I'm showing you right now is from 2001 Amelia Island Concord Elegance. I took the picture myself. I did not know the family at the time. I had no idea I would be representing this car for a historic sale. I was just a fan 
who loved the car and took a picture. Returning to All Park in 2004, the GTO won its class, and three years later, the owner drove the car on the 250 GTO 45th anniversary tour in Sonoma, California. Now, again, if you're watching on YouTube, over my shoulder here, there is a, a poster of the GTO, and this is from when it was the poster for the 2004 uh, Cincinnati Concord Elegance, and that poster is in my office as we talk. Most significantly, in August 2011, the Ferrari was exhibited in the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance celebratory GTO class, and the car went on to take second place among 23 GTO examples. Seven months later, the GTO drove away with the Best of Show Award at the Amelia Island Concord Elegance, again besting 12 other sister cars. These successful appearances were followed by participation in the 60th anniversary 250 GTO tour through North Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia in September 2022. That's a crazy tour. I mean, there's, I think they had something like 20 GTOs driving on the back roads of North Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia. It just would have been amazing to see that. As one of 34 GTO examples built with Tipo 1962 coachwork and the only example originally equipped with a four liter engine, chassis number 3765 has been profiled several times in the Ferrari Focus publications, Prancing Horse and Cavallino, and its period racing career was documented in magazines like Sports Car Graphic, Road and Track, and Auto Sport. This 330LM slash 250 GTO is also desirably documented with factory records that clarify its early history, including two sets of build sheets, one each for the factory preparation for the Nürburgring and Le Mans, and a third spec sheet that outlines the factory modifications to 250 GTO specifications conducted for privateer racing in May 1963, including installation of currently fitted engine. Now publicly offered for the first time in 38 years, a period characterized by diligent and fastidious upkeep through the almost through almost four decades of single ownership, this truly remarkable GTO is nothing short of a legend. It is known to be the only example campaigned by the Scudiero Ferrari on behalf CFAC Ferrari's ownership, eligible for major events worldwide, including Le Mans Classic. This stunning GTO offers its next caretaker further touring and vintage racing enjoyment or display at major Concord Elegance and Mark gatherings worldwide. I know personally when talking to the owner, he really wants someone to buy this car and to drive it just the way he's done for so many years. For true automotive connoisseurs, our eyes now tell us what our souls already recognize, that the offering of such an automotive legend as 3765 is a rare moment of opportunity that will transpire faster than the streak of a shooting star or a flash of lightning. Serious Ferrari collectors are urged to not let this moment slip away without due recognition for the public availability of such a singular GTO may never repeat itself within our lifetimes. This extraordinary chance to acquire the holy grail of the sports car Panthenon should be relished for the opportunity it is, never to be relinquished to the haunting memory of what might have been. All right, that's pretty amazing, right? That is quite a write-up for quite a car. So really cool. I mean, obviously, it had three engines in its life, four-liter, four-liter with a different carb setup than the three-liter. Incredible story right then and there, but there's so many one-offs about this car. I know it's like the only one that has the four-liter hood bulge on a three-liter body. It also has some extra vents from Le Mans that when it went back to the factory, they worked those into the hood. 
um, just in front of the windshield. Just so many really, really cool things about this car. It also has a different nose as it ran as a 250 GTO, kind of like a mail slot nose. If you watch the Don't Blink video, you'll see it in there. I believe it's when it ran as number 114. Um, and I know that when we met with the Ferrari folks, they would love to see it back in that configuration because it's the only 250 GTO, my understanding, that ever had that nose on it. So you would lose the iconic three D scoops, but it would be one of one again because it was the only one that came from the factory with that particular scoop. So as always, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Please stay tuned for this incredible sale, and I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.